Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. My friends, this is an era of great heroes and dangerous villains. The fate of the world is within our hands. Whether you are part of the Avengers or the Justice League, or just doing whatever you can to help those around you, I ask you to join our quest and become one with the voices from Krypton. Oh, and while you're here, check out the podcast. It's good. Really. I'm Ed Gross, and this is Voices from Krypton, the podcast where we speak superhero. And we also happen to be pretty fluent in action and sci-fi. In this installment, we've got a bit of a double feature. First, talking to the showrunners behind the new Netflix CG animated series, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And then writer Steve Englehart, who is currently represented on the big screen by the character he co-created, Shang-Chi, and who discusses the evolution of the Batman character and the writer's influence on Tim Burton's 1989 movie. But first, it's He-Man, the concept of which was introduced in the 1980s by Mattel as a toy line that quickly spawned several animated series, books, comics, a feature film starring Dolph Lundgren, and Frank Langella as his enemy, Skeletor. Executive producer Rob David and co-executive producer Jeff Masuda discussed the new CG show and particularly how it benefits from the serialized nature of storytelling on the streaming service. So I just watched, I guess it's the first season, right? There were 10 episodes, is it? Yeah. All right. So watching. I have to tell you, for and being very honest by saying that, you know, I was already in my 20s when He-Man came around. So I was never a huge fan of it. But I have to say this was actually really enjoyable. Oh, uh, I mean that. Thank I mean, you. Was, absolutely. Uh, and, and I guess I guess that's the best place to start, in a sense, is the challenges. This show, this concept, rather, has been around and recreated so many times over the years, like more times than I even realized <laughs> that it's been so many. Right. How hard is it to give it yet a new breath of fresh air in trying to do it yet again? I think I mean, it, it's challenging, um, but but it's also rewarding the all the stuff that came before is really good it's really good and and we're all standing on the shoulders of the great people who made this um what it is the, the original creators like michael halperin and donald glud and lou scheimer and even in, in 2002 there was an amazing series done by mike young productions which i love very much so we're we're starting on a, an abundance of riches um but and i think that what you do then is you then distill it down to its core DNA and all the things that make this myth great and live on in our hearts. Um, and you, you distill it to those, to that DNA. And then you allow yourself to recontextualize and reimagine um, the details or how you actually express that core truth um, to, to a new and fresh audience. So it's kind of exhilarating. Um, it's exhilarating and fun and it is a responsibility, but primarily the greatest thing is to just, is just to basically make this myth feel present and current. Um, it's the same themes, um, and the same characters, but just told for uh, a fresh new audience of kids who can find He-Man for the first time. Yeah, we didn't we didn't feel like a, a really a ton of pressure. It was just so much fun. We believe so much in like the Motu universe, you know, that it was just 
let's take the, the, the essence of it and just create something as fun as we can. So the next generation, the new generation of kids could really have something that they can own for themselves. Um, and that was the biggest thing, it, 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 you know, it is taking the core stuff, but we didn't feel beholden to certain things, uh, plot points or whatever. It was just more the, the core essence of what Motu was and what made it so great. And then just reimagining it for today's kids. What I found interesting for today's kids also, given the environment <clears throat> and given the fact that this is Netflix, uh, the fact that it's a serialized show and oh, for yeah. a kid's show, I didn't, I mean, maybe that's the normal way it's done now. I don't know, but I found it much more much more refreshing the fact that it was serialized that it wasn't that all the characters have to be introduced in the first episode yeah. and every you know so talk to me about that about what the serialization so that is i mean you, you got it just right so in terms of the storyline it was important to me that like we tell a coming of age story that we we're not presenting instant perfect heroes um because i think uh kids today especially but also adults now over the the, the last few decades we want our heroes to to also have that challenge and start off from from you know on ground zero and then have a potential to 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 reach greatness but then we want to go on that journey with them so it's it's designed to show these characters leveling up as as characters um and to do a story like that serialized storytelling is really the way to go um and because you you can't just be totally episodic where everything is completely always represented equally in every episode um the and and just completely resolves netflix has changed the way we can experience stories i mean the right. the idea that you can watch 10 episodes i mean you know you can watch it in one sitting if you want i mean you can get up to go eat go to the bathroom go out but you can also watch it. that changed the game and in talking with uh, megan casey who's our wonderful exec at netflix she was like saying yeah lean in guys like you can really you can really um, break this out over, you know, the ten episodes of season one, and then the the other episodes that are coming in the future seasons that are that are on the way as well, and really kind of um, double down on that core concept. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Just what what makes it so attractive to me is the serialization. You know, if you aired this show out of order, it would make zero sense because it is so important that everyone's yeah. building towards something. And we have, you know, we have other seasons coming up where it is really, it's what Rob and, and Brian Camiller put together is really unbelievable. It is it, the things that happen in the future, past, even past this season, it couldn't happen if it was just episodic. It is really, uh, it, it, it continues to build and I think it continues to improve every single season. You know, you always want to keep, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go, please. I'd rather hear you. <laughs> but you always, you know, the trick is to do a serialized story um, that one propels the next. And Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko were like the masters of this. Yeah. Um, they weren't the only ones, but you you tell multi-episode arcs, but each individual issue, in our case, episode, still has some core nugget story that gets resolved, you know, that gets or gets something, <laughs> something where you felt you got a satisfied meal out of that story, but yet it's now hooks onto the next one to tell the larger story. Um, and that's the real trick. Well, I mean, look at the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? I mean, oh, seriously, yeah, right. by the time you get to something as incredible as Endgame, yeah. and it's been building on top of it that every oh. almost everything that happens in that movie, you're like, oh my God, it's a callback to this. And oh my God, this connects to this. And right, it's just right. amazing. That audience cheering when Captain America picks up Thor's hammer. Oh, you betcha. You know? <laughs> I mean, and just saying I am Iron Man. I mean, that is purely, a, if that had just come out in the first movie, no one cares. But watching, to your point, watching all of those, oh man. 
right? really and, love those guys. Yeah. Which is why at the end of this, when you get, uh, well, I, I don't want, well, I can cut well, it. Go ahead. It's, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's all stream, right? So it'll be streamed. When, when you get to the end, you have Skeletor sitting in that chair. Yeah. It's got such weight to it now than it would have had the episode began and ended and, you know, just a typical right. story. Yeah. And you, you, you know what that chair means to him. And also I wanted to also up the stakes. Um, it's still in a, in a, in a, in a fun way, you know, mm. um, but up the stakes. I mean, Skeletor um, episodically always goes for the power and then he gets rebuffed by He-Man and the, and the masters. But in, you're telling a serialized story. What if Skeletor won one? You know, what if he got it? What if he sat right. in that chair? Where are heroes running off to? You know, where, what's the next chapter? It's just too much of a great opportunity for storytellers to pass on. We were, we were so happy to have the opportunity to, to end it on that note. Just Skeletor sitting on the throne. That's just what, that's what we really wanted. We, what we really wanted to see. I mean, a, a lot of us, when, when we're creating shows, we'll always refer to like the Empire Strikes Back. You know, mm -hmm. just when things look their worst. That's what we always refer to for any sort of a terrible turn for our heroes. So we were glad we were able to do that. Yeah. You know, and structure the ninth episode to be a dark reflection of the fourth episode, you know, because the he masters and dark masters are that yin yang nemesis corollary. So just even in the way we could structure out the 10 episodes to say four is when the masters uh, come around as a team, nine is when the dark masters come, and it's a flip, um, right. you know, a, a flip on that. That's the kind of storytelling that a platform like uh, Netflix provides. We love it. Yeah. And, 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 I'm sorry, please. Oh, really quick. When one of the yeah. things Rob has always pointed out is that well, that's what we love about Netflix is we're not rushed to do stuff. It, uh, we have a lot of heroes. They don't show up till episode four. And then right. we have bad guys. And a lot of times you introduce the bad guys in the first episode. You know, we don't do it till the ninth. So we, all this has grown. And that's pretty amazing to have the room to breathe for a story like that. It's pretty rare, I think. Definitely. And to leave for a kid's show. To leave it on a cliffhanger like that, like, okay, we'll be back season two, you know, whenever that yeah. is. It's <laughs> like, that's very unusual for a kid's show too, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. to do that. So it's pretty cool. Um, the, the serialization, what does it do for the characters, the main characters, in the sense of, does it put them on a greater road for evolution? Because you're not doing the reset button at the end of uh, the episodes. So, and if it does, which I'm, I'm assuming it does, Give give me a sense of what you who you feel has benefited the most character wise from the fact that this is a serialized show. Uh, that's a great question. I I think in some ways all of all of them, um, all all of them in in the sense that that you know I wanted to put mastery into the concept of masters of the universe. So you know you you don't you just because you have potential and just because you have a, a great, great power to yourself doesn't mean that um, you, you're perfect and you have all the answers. So allowing Adam to uh, have no idea that he's a prince, even no idea what any of this means, no idea, you know, he knows that the sword sees something in him that he doesn't even see in himself, allowing him to go on that journey uh, and, and have there be clear markers to how he's going to get there in the end, but then to track that with all of his friends, um, and, and pay it off. There's a lot of, of the root drama between him and Crass and what it means to be a family uh, and what it means to be feeling like you have a belonging. Um, and the tension between that is something that we set up in episode one, but really the whole thing climaxes together in that final episode, which is 
beyond season one. But um, <laughs> but really, to your point, like all of these characters, insofar as they're coming together in, in their own discovery and as a family, clearly marks along the way towards the end. Right. Like we we, we talked about Endgame earlier, and it really it's sort of the same idea, right? Iron Man and Captain America and their first individual movies are very different from who you see at the end of Endgame. And it's sort of like that here as well. Like, you know, in the beginning, they're all sort of orphans that don't know each other well. And at the end of this season or at the end of, uh, you know, our last season, uh, it's pretty different. You know, they've, they've, they've definitely gone on a journey. And the, the bad guys represent that aspect of themselves that they have to overcome in order to kind of come into their own. That's why they're like the they're they, they're the flip side of, of that individual character. You have the character like Duncan, um, Trapjaw, Cronus is his dark corollary. Um, he's what Duncan fears that he could become, and also Duncan worries that all he is is a tool for for Cronus. You know, being his former apprentice. Um, so Duncan's journey is is showing that he's more than just just an apprentice, more than just a tool, and more than just a fixer. He's a builder. And his greatest invention in the end will be himself, is reinventing himself as uh, a true uh, a true master. Even Skeletor seems to have his own yeah. sort of journey in a sense, in the sense of he uh, realizes what he really wants, uh, I think, as this thing goes on. He is, um, he has that moment in four, which was, uh, you know, very much inspired by Paradise Lost and Milton and, and Lucifer falling in the pit and saying, you know, it's better to rule him and held and serve in heaven. Right. And he's so, his pride is so wounded that he can't have the power of Grayskull um, that he he throws himself into the shadow of Grayskull Havoc um, and declares it to be the true uh, power of, of the universe and sets up shop at Snake Mountain uh, to rule from there. Um, so, and it's coming out of a, of a, a sense of, of injured pride and greed um he's the opposite of adam adam will let go of power when he, the battle's done but skeletor will never let go which is symbolized by his bone hand he's he he will not let go of power even if it rots him out from the inside okay. i don't check for that kind of like when lex luther wouldn't take off that kryptonite ring uh and it cost him his hand <laughs> and i say that because i love superman and you're from krypton and you got the superman thing behind you so uh we could talk about superman too we love him so much. Oh, I have to say with what you just said a second ago for a show called He-Man, which on the surface you can look at, I mean, in my twenties, I certainly, I mock nothing now when it comes to that sort of thing, but in my twenties, like hey, He-Man, pff, all right. Yeah. Right. Right. But still to talk about something called He-Man and yet in the same conversation reference paradise lost. That's crazy. I love it. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I grew up loving these stories of, as mythology. I mean, the, the MCU is essentially a modern version of the Greek, you know, uh, pantheon. Um, I love the story. Human being, like birds fly, humans tell stories. I mean, that's what we do. And all of life gets its meaning from the stories we tell about ourselves to, to each other. And so I love all of this stuff. Um, and I think that any great story uh, whether it's Star Wars, Superman, Masters of the Universe, works on multiple levels and speaks to truth, some of which we're not even conscious of. You know, we are in this, as I said at the beginning of this thing, this thing has had so many versions and it's really spanned many years at this point. Why? What is it about the kind, and it's certainly not just toys. I mean, what is it about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe that has allowed it to appeal and to keep getting reinvented the way it has? 
What do you think, Jeff? Where, what, what made you want to do this? You know, for me, it's just, I, I've always loved He-Man. Uh, as a kid, I think I just liked all of the different designs and, and how the world was so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of aliens and wizards and, and, and robots and not very, not very common. And that, that's why it's always held like a special place in my heart. But as I dug deeper, as we started making the show, it, it's more just about self-empowerment. You know, like uh, I, I have kids and I see social media today is like, like funneling kids to all be a certain way. You know, and I, I, I would, I would, you know, and, and there's a social pressure for these kids to, to, to want to, to be seen a certain way. And for me, it's important that, that uh, our kids, that kids uh, find something within themselves that makes them unique, you know, and, and unlock that for themselves, as opposed to trying to be other people or what other, what other kids want to be. And that's what really, to me, attracted me the most to this, to the, to the Motu mythos, really. Voices from Krypton will be right back with our interview with writer Steve Englehart, who discusses the character of Batman. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You brought up Batman before, I, I, and I do. I do have a question about Batman. Mm. Given where the popularity of the character and where we are in the Dark Knight and and all that's happened since probably the Burton movie, I guess. But would you say that in the seventies, that the stuff between yourself and then the stuff Denny O'Neill did was that was that sort of the redefining of Batman? Um, yeah, it definitely was. Um, I just wrote uh, an intro. They they're doing a joker 80 years of joker book at dc and i just wrote an intro about the history of the joker so i you know i had to think about this stuff so let me see how i can make this make sense in terms of your question um <laughs> the joker the joker was great for two years he was a homicidal maniac um every one of his stories ended uh with him either dying or being thrown into jail and every one of his stories opened with him either escaping that death or getting out of that jail. Right. And, and I, it occurred to me that that made him like the first serial killer, not the first serial killer in actual history, but in terms of comics. Absolutely. But anyway, after two years, they wanted a more family friendly thing. And so the Joker for the next 34 years became the clown, you know, who wasn't, you know, he didn't do evil things really. And he, you know, he, built robots and he did you know nothing and toward the end of that period um denny and neil did the joker's dark uh, five-way revenge and it wasn't he wasn't really scary there was a lot of wind and rain in it but he was dangerous which was different 
from before. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the pulp Joker, which is, you know, to me, that's where, uh, and and to jump ahead, that's what I brought to it, and and that's what I think, that's when he switched back to being the homicidal maniac, and that's, you know, and we've seen that ever since. The thing about the Joker's five-way revenge was, it was an honorable attempt by two honorable guys to try to bring this guy back into prominence, and nobody cared. I mean, people look back on it and they go, oh, "Yeah, they, they, Neil and Denny, they did that Joker story, and it was, you know, it was like different and so forth." But in contemporary times, the Joker stories that followed that just did the same old ha-ha Joker. Right, and they, and they even gave the Joker a, a series of his own in which they took out all of his bad traits, and he was just you know kind of this this humorous villain type guy, and you know I mean, so the Joker's five way revenge did not reset the table, um, but if I may say, you know, the the laughing fish did. Um, and since then, the Joker's just gotten crazier and crazier, and Batman's gotten crazier and crazier. Yeah. Um, you know, but that was the redefinition, I think, that that point. And and again, you know, what I was doing, I mean, now you're asking me, so I'm telling. Yeah. But um I you know, I was charged with re with, you know, revitalizing all the DC characters. So I did the Justice League and I did it with all of them, but I wanted to do Batman on his own. And but with all of them, the you know, the key for me is to finding out who the guy is inside the costume. I mean, costumes cool, the powers are cool, but who is it who's running all that? And so, you know, I I wanted to get very much inside Bruce Wayne's head, uh, which is where Silver Saint Cloud came from, to give him a a sex life, which which was another thing, which was unthinkable because it was just outside the code. Nobody ever figured on doing sex life, but I really wanted him to be an adult. I wanted him to be a full grown man and not a boy. Um, and part of building a better Batman was obviously bringing back a better Joker. And so all those things came together. But, you know, so uh, Michael Uslan read that stuff and he said, I see how we can do an adult Batman. And they went away for 10 years and tried, got Hollywood screenwriters to write it. And they couldn't do it because they were, the, it was that thing I said before. It was people who were kind of slumming and trying to figure out how to make Batman funny. and, right, and, right. and all that. So ten years later, I got a call to go and work on the movie to to script doctorate. Basically, they said, you know, you're the only one who understands what we were trying to do here. So I I worked on that movie, and it, and it was kind of a back and forth thing in that they were thinking, let's make because it's Tim Burton too, right? I mean, let's make it yeah. sort of funny. Um, and I was pushing for more. Let's see who Bruce Wayne Batman is. Let's see, you know, let's make the stakes, let's make it dangerous to fight the Joker, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, I, I shaped that movie um, as much as I could. Um, and I do think that that movie, as it came out, it still had you know, the, the, the wacky reporter guy and, and, and stuff. But, um, it was pretty close in tone and in story to the, you know, to the stuff to, you know, to the comic run that I did. So I think that, and then, you know, then they made a second one kind of coasting off of that. And then they went back to like Mr. Freeze and let's make it all funny. And, oh, and, yeah, and so, yeah. I mean, that didn't have, it didn't have an immediate effect, but I think, I think there are a lot of people who saw those first two movies and, and said, 
oh, I'm, I'm a young film student, and I think I see where I could go with this somewhere down the line. So I think I think the, the later films, the X-Men and, you know, and whatever followed then, um, a lot of that stuff was set up, you know, by, by what, you know, was able to be done in, in the, in the Batman 89 movie. Um, but you know, it, that was a long, hard struggle. Too. Oh, sure. And I was, I, you know, I was on the outside. I just, I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing the struggling, but I, but I kind of feel like I set up the, the, the stakes and, and then people kind of ran with that. I got to tell you, I don't know if it was your moment in the film or not, but one of the standout moments for me, and this may sound goofy to you, I don't know. Uh, is when Bruce Wayne sees the Joker outside the bank or wherever he is. I don't remember where he was. And he starts walking towards him and he gets shot. And he just keeps going. Mm-hmm. I love that moment. To me, for some reason, that was one of my favorite moments ever of Batman. Well, see, that's the Batman, right? That's the guy. And and they weren't they weren't doing that. I mean, the 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 the, the TV series which I loved in the beginning and then got tired of, right. you know, but I mean, so did everybody the, else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it was too much. It was the same stuff over and over again, yeah. but that was the Batman and the Cesar Romero Joker and all that. I mean, that was the, that was the one that, that was in everybody's consciousness. Um, and that's what I was fighting against was trying to get to the guy who would walk toward the Joker and get shot and keep going because he's so focused. Right. He's so intense about what he's doing. And that's why I loved Michael Keaton in that role. Because Michael Keaton, you know, everybody said, oh man, he's too small and he's too, you know, this and that and the other thing. But Michael Keaton has darkness inside him. He yeah. always has in any role. And and the idea of a guy with darkness inside, see, I, I liked him better than Christian Bale. Christian Bale looked like Batman. He mm-hmm. was dark and he, you know, and he was tall and all that. But Christian Bale, uh, he can play it, but he didn't. He doesn't have that kind of. Int- There's something dark about Michael Keaton. Yeah, you know, um, and that's what I was looking for. You know, um, the story I heard was that uh, you know they offered that role to a number of people, famous actors, who said, "I don't want to spend an entire movie with a mask over my face." Right. You know, so Keaton was kind of the fallback position. But I thought that was a great. A great um, portrayal. Absolutely, uh, and yeah. he wasn't wearing a mask in that moment. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know wasn't, what I mean? Because yeah. that's it's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. You know, it's it's this little kid swore that he was going to grow up and he was going to do this, and that's the entire. That's it. You know, I mean, Aunt Harriet and, and you know, all this other stuff. It's right. like, what the, you know, that's got nothing to do with the Batman. Right. And again, I was charged with reinvigorating all these guys. So I was trying to find the key to every one of them. What impresses me about Batman as a whole, though, because we talked about Christian Bale, Michael Keaton, Adam West. Mm. This mm. this character, despite his darkness, seems to be the most malleable character of these superheroes in which you can put him in a campy or a series like Batman the Brave and the Bold, go with the Dark Knight trilogy. I mean, it's just amazing to me how flexible this character is. Well, he's a great character. I mean, just just intrinsically great. And, and for one thing, he can be done in black and white. I mean, he doesn't rely on color to uh you know to help sell him he right. you know he lives in the shadows and he you know and he's basically black and white all the time 
so he's very simple and 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 you can project you know you can project a lot of stuff onto that onto that template um i again i'm i'm not as big a fan of of the humorous right. stuff um you know i thought brave and bold you know perfectly legitimate series but again not you know i don't think we ever saw a guy who would walk head first into a bullet in there <laughs> no very different that's what i'm saying you know, i mean we saw yeah. we saw a very well done superhero irv novick neil adams you know bob bob haney i mean they were all doing a really good job on that book but they weren't trying to do that they weren't right. trying to do that guy he-man and the masters of the universe is currently streaming on netflix while batman is well everywhere after all he's batman we hope you'll check out our podcast vampires and slayers which features interviews on both and tv retrovision devoted to classic television please subscribe to the voices from krypton podcast give us a five-star review and tell your friends about us hell tell your enemies about us too thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time